Welcome to the Capgemini Salesforce podcast series. This is Andy Forbes with Capgemini America, and I'm talking today to Mike King, the chief technical architect in the Capgemini commerce practice. That's great to be back, Andy. Mike, we're going to explore the enterprise today, Salesforce, commerce, and how it plugs into the enterprise. I want to start by talking a little bit about some of the standard integration patterns that I see as somebody that works mostly in Salesforce core, that is to say, sales cloud, service cloud, CPQ, FSL, that part of the Salesforce world. So in that part of the world, there's basically, I make a call out and it's synchronous. So I wait to get back data. I wait to get something back. I can make a call out that's asynchronous. I shoot something out and sometime later, maybe there's, maybe I get a response. Maybe I don't even need a response. I of course can do batch. I wait and every so often, once a day, once an hour, once a week, whatever it is, I synchronize with an external system. I can set Salesforce up so that external systems can initiate the transaction. I write a web service. So at some point when SAP or Siebel or some external system wants something from Salesforce, it makes the call and gets it. I can embed an experience, screens and an experience from an external system in Salesforce. So Salesforce presents the experience, but doesn't necessarily actually do ever see, touch, massage any of the data. I'm assuming the patterns used in commerce are similar, but but what do you typically see in, in the commerce world around integrations? They're similar, Andy. Yeah, it's it's an interesting space. I think one of the things that makes commerce a little bit unique is that people don't go to an e-commerce website to experience the e-commerce website. At least that's not what our clients want them to do when they get there. The point of an e-commerce website is to move money from one bank account to another and to move products from a warehouse to somebody's front door. And none of those things sit within the e-commerce experience. So the whole operation is essentially how do we orchestrate all of these very disparate, very distant systems into doing the right combination of things to fulfill that promise that you make to your client when they go online and they fall in love with a product or they see something in their inbox or they find something on, on shared on Facebook uh, and they want to transact commerce with you. So the, the tools are definitely the same, but the focus is really on getting that critical data to come into the system that is necessary, your products, your inventory, your content, your customer data, and then getting the right data that, to flow out, your order data, your obviously um, purchase data, price, your credit card transactions, loyalty information, all of those email signups that come in and help you kind of build the next generation of customers. All of that is, is super critical. Uh, the commerce cloud world and Salesforce is still very much feed-based for a lot of clients. We still have um, feeds of product catalog coming in, feeds of inventory, feeds of price book, um, all of that kind of flowing into the environment throughout the day. And then we have outgoing feeds, usually XML of order data that's making it down to an order management system to make it down to the warehouse and, you know, update inventory in the ERP. And so all of these, all of these flows have to be kind of carefully orchestrated and monitored and they have to be super durable because we have scale where clients are managing a million SKUs and tens of millions of dollars of transactions a day on these systems. And they really can't afford to have something just like get gummed up in the works for an hour or so. So it's about resiliency and it's about connectedness. 
lately, there has been a huge, huge shift in this space, like every other space, to be as real time as possible. And from an integration perspective, where that's super important is especially around things like inventory. You know, if you have a client that is using the same inventory pool to ship to their stores and fulfill endless aisle promises as they are to sell online on your website or maybe even on Amazon. Um, we need to know right now how much inventory is available to sell to avoid creating disappointing experiences. Our conversation so far has been inside out. That is to say, taking a, a perspective from what it's like to be inside core, inside commerce. Let's turn that around and talk a little bit about outside in. I think we've both got experience working uh, on systems in the enterprise where it's all point to point, where there's 20 or 30 systems and an endless number of, of point to point connections that, that can be a real handful to maintain. So the, the trend in this space is to mastering data, uh, data harmonization, typically called master data management, uh, sometimes virtual, sometimes an actual piece of software, and then API led, the construction of an API catalog. What are you seeing on this front in what you do? I'm seeing a lot of movement on this front uh, from Salesforce in particular. It's, it's both a really exciting time and I think a really confusing time for clients and frankly for partners uh, in this area. Uh, with the acquisition of MuleSoft, it's fairly clear that Salesforce is, is leveraging that platform to make some really fundamental changes in how they expose the commerce experience, for example. Um, historically, Salesforce Commerce Cloud, the B2C product, has been a kind of a combined customer experience API package. You can do headless commerce on it, but say I want to update a hook that's used by my mobile app during check out to kind of include a little customer data on the basket information. In order for me to update that purely API code base, I have to push the exact same code that includes my product detail page and homepage customer experience. It's all very kind of tightly coupled. And lately there's been this really wonderful shift to more of like a microservices based approach where all of these different services are kind of getting decomposed and pulled out of the core platform and made available in more of like a MuleSoft based way. In some cases, they're still backed by the same open commerce API, but not always. And what this is doing is it, it's getting us closer to being API led in the commerce space and also being able to participate as a first class citizen in an API led enterprise instead of being this kind of monolithic chunk of commerce, customer experience, UX, API data that's all just black boxed and, and sitting there. We can now kind of pull that apart a little bit and figure out how we play in, a, in an API-led enterprise, which I think is really exciting for, for us. Um, on the master data management side, it's, it's still tricky. There's, there's two kind of tools that are clearly coming from Salesforce to tackle this. There's the Customer 360 Data Manager tool, which is a, is a great tool for doing uh, human recognition and reconciliation across disparate systems. So taking your data from, from Marketing Cloud, from Service Cloud, from Commerce Cloud, and figuring out which records all kind of all represent the same individual human so that you can provide a more unified experience to them. But it's not, uh, very importantly, uh, 
a single view of the customer. It's not taking all that data into one place. All it's doing is saying, yep, those three contacts in marketing cloud and this person account in service cloud and that guest user on the commerce cloud, that's all the same person. Um, a, a totally separate product, at least at this moment, customer 360 audiences, which is more of a marketing cloud driven, is really set up as a customer data platform where it's gonna pull in data from different systems, do a similar sort of reconciliation, but then try to present back a more unified journey. So what I think is, is exciting and interesting for all of us right now is how do we start to take these tools and put them together so that we can at least unify from a customer experience perspective, the data that's relevant in the enterprise. And again, just like with being a first-class citizen in an API-led enterprise, be a first-class citizen where an enterprise is focusing on a master data solution and, and how do we present our data to that package. Every time we have a conversation around uh, API-led, I start to laugh. I typically mute my microphone and I start to laugh because I live in Northern Virginia and for a while lived not too far from uh, from Philip Merrick, the founder of Web Methods and SOA and, and frankly, REST. So what was that, 25 years ago that this a not dissimilar vision was espoused and we're still trying to figure out how to make it work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are, because there are real challenges. You know, there are, there are interdependencies between these various services. And so we all want to pretend, for example, that we can just take pricing and put it in its own space and products in its own space, but products have prices. And if you buy multiple products, you might get a different price. And so how, how to make sure things are synchronized and coherent while still being diff separate and independent, it, it's a real architectural challenge. And I, and I think an important conversation, especially in Salesforce core, a lot of projects I've been on, the decision has been made that the customer data, that the account and customer data is going to be mastered in Salesforce. But as you know, customers owe us money. We're not going to put that in there. Now we've got to synchronize across the financial system. Customers need support. Maybe that's in service cloud. Maybe that's in service now. Customers use Commerce Cloud. They use Cloud Grace to, to purchase stuff. I hear what you're saying. The, the data is all over the place and different parts of it need to be in different places. At the same time, though, the people working in this space have all agreed that the data does need to be mastered, that it, it should be harmonized, that there should be a way to have a, a consistent API, you know, and, and a fairly locked down API. I'm not sure in the data world, obviously, it's referential integrity. I'm not sure what the, the phrasing is for APIs, but the idea that, that it's consistent, that I from any system in the enterprise, I can make a call to an API to get the customer's current mailing address shouldn't be that difficult, but we still apparently find that a challenge to to achieve. I, my fingers are crossed that we're finally at the point where we might be crossing the line into being able to do something like this in a coherent and consistent and reliable fashion. I think we have the technology to do it, uh, Andy. I, I don't see that necessarily as being the biggest challenge, but you, you mentioned a lot of places where customer data lives, but one important one for a lot of the clients that I work with day to day is still the stores, you know, uh, maybe not in the last month or two since everybody's uh, 
locked down at home, but in the normal world, people still go into stores and they buy products and they need to see the same price for that product and the same promotions that they do on the website. And if they buy that product and they want to return it online, they should be able to find it relatively easily and, and process that. So, so yeah, I think it's really important. I think we know, we know how to do this, but for a lot of our clients, uh, the team that is running the POS in that store is so far removed from the team that we work with that's running the e-commerce experience that it's hard it's hard to figure out like how to get them even to coordinate and communicate never mind rely on the same technology it, it really takes i know we always say that you know it has to come from at least the, the c level but it does because if you just picture the kind of hierarchy of an organization like this the first place where all of these different silos all report up to one person who can make them work together is generally at the sea level. That's generally where this this direction and unification has to come this from. This just keeps getting more complicated. It's getting critical that it all be integrated. And I'll give you an example. I, I have a recent podcast I did with Joe Vernon in our supply chain group. And the conversation with Joe, a, a gentleman from uh, Intuit AI, was around managing the supply chain, predictive analysis for the supply chain, because supply chains today are all just in time. No, nobody sits on inventory anymore. And the, as demonstrated by the fact that for uh, last month, or it's been very difficult to buy toilet paper. As soon as there's a, there's a change in demand, the whole process breaks down. And his comment, one of his comments in that conversation was that in the world that you're in, Mike, it's great. You have the analytics to look at volume, at flow, at velocity, at how long somebody sits on a page looking at something but not purchasing it versus when they purchase it versus when they put it in the shopping cart and then abandon the cart. And one of the big trends in consumer in retail and consumer products and supply chain is around getting that level of, of insight in brick and mortar and in, in meat space in having tools where the, the same how long did someone sit on the page? How long did someone stand in front of a product, but then not buy it happen? Yeah. And I, honestly, I, I've seen some attempts to address that, Andy, from a technical perspective. You know, I've seen everything from like using cameras in store to monitor traffic flow and dwell and which end caps are getting the most attention. And quite frankly, people's tolerance for being observed online is a lot higher than their tolerance for being observed in person. You know, I don't think we, if we got to the same level of understanding and analytics of how a human moves through a store as we do how they move through a website, that person would be very uncomfortable. I think it's, it's really hard to solve that aspect of it. Well, well. so I'll, I'll share with you and I, I'll be very careful not to, to name names here, but some number of years ago, I was doing some work for an organization that was working on a product that uh, had some concerns about privacy. So they hired a company to do some market research. And what that company did, I thought was fascinating. And that is that they put a slide up on a wall. So about three feet wide, there was a simple slide that you could move from left to right. And they stuck it to a whiteboard. And on the whiteboard, on the left, they put most privacy. And on the right, they put lowest price. And then they asked people to just walk up to the whiteboard and put the slide where they were comfortable, where, where they wanted the slide to be. And what happened is about 10% of the people put it at most privacy. About 5% of the people put it 
somewhere between the either one end or the other. And 85% of the people slap that thing down to lowest price. So I do hear what you're saying. And I, I think if you say to somebody in a vacuum, are you un- uncomfortable being observed in the store? The answer is yes. Are you willing to pay 20% higher prices to not be observed? Oh, oh, heck no. <laughs> so um, I do hear what you're saying, but this drives me to, and I, I know we've talked about this as well, this drives me to DevOps. The idea that we need to get to a world where everybody is part of the team. As you said, from the from the C-suite to the folks on the street, to the folks stocking the shelves, to the salespeople, to the service people, to the IT people, to the everybody, we need a way to get everybody across the enterprise engaged and move from ideation to value recognition as quickly as possible without stumbling over other people's schedules or, or inability to make a schedule or whatever it might be. That's kind of what I was saying a couple of minutes ago. It's like, there's so many moving parts to being successful today. It isn't just go learn Salesforce really well and get a bunch of certs, which I've done, but now it's, I have to know DevOps. I have to understand supply chain. I have to understand integration patterns. I have, there's, there's just so much going on now that has to be held in your head to make something like this successful. Yeah. And I think the most important thing that, that we have to get good at or be good at is learning how to learn our way around a client organization, because every enterprise is different. And I think it behooves us all to kind of ask those upfront questions about like, what are your architectural methodologies? Do you have, do you have an EA space or a library? Do you have a set of components that you draw from in sort of a TOGAF way? Um, are you following an API led approach conceptually? Because I, I have had the experience where um, we get engaged as outside consultants by a particular part of an enterprise. And it's very easy, uh, natural, and sometimes even efficient for us to just get the job done in our own little silo or sphere. And that may make our direct point of contact happy, but we may actually be doing a disservice to the larger enterprise they're a part of if we don't understand how we relate to all of the other parts and components therein. You know, it's I think we're past the point where any company can just take a piece of software, drop it in to serve a purpose and not think about its interconnectedness with their, with their larger app fabric. And I, and that I, that if I could like push one message out to consultants in general and SIs in general, it's that it's, it's understand the context in which you're working rather than just focusing on the problem in front of you. This brings us to the $64 question, at least to my mind, which is why? Achieving all of this, I'm not saying it's necessarily expensive, but it, it's not going to happen all by itself. It does take, as you said, some leadership from the C-suite to push all of this forward. And I have yet to encounter somebody at that level when they hear about this that doesn't go, what's the ROI? How is this going to benefit my organization? So in an environment where a lot of this has been done, where, as you said, they have, a, if not a, a physical tool like MuleSoft implementing an API, at least a catalog of the APIs that are available, they have 
more or less mastered their data or at least mastered the, the key entities in their system. So there's some consistency in use. What are the benefits to projects? And you're a commerce guy. So from a, a commerce perspective, what are the benefits to your project when you start in an environment where a lot of these problems have been addressed? I wish that that were more common. I wish I had more experience to draw from there. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, quite quite frankly, uh, that 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 doesn't come up a lot. I I think it's it's easier for me to answer what happens when uh, we're in an engagement where a client has some has some awareness of this or has made some inroads there, and and what happens is we are able to have better and more informed conversations about connectedness. It's it's less, well, here is the, you know, the API spec for our ERP. So go figure out what you need from there. And it's more about, you know, what what information do you need and, and what information are you providing? And so we can start to we can start to work through that. And it generally means that we can develop those connections faster and much more efficiently um you know i'm there's a project that i that i've been engaged with recently where we need to send order data to a bunch of different places for a variety of different reasons uh, and if we had to go build each one of those connections separately we're essentially you know building the same or a very similar API three or four times. And, and that has, that has a, obviously a cost and a time impact on the project, but it also has a cost and a time impact on every single place order request that happens on a very high volume storefront. And that's just not acceptable. You know, we can't have a three, four five second load time because we're calling out to 10 different systems to tell them the same thing. Uh, fortunately, this client's fairly mature and they understand that and we're able to to leverage this kind of API-led approach and say, an order happened. You go tell all the systems that need to know about it, what's going on there. And that makes a really big difference to the customer experience, to the speed and efficiency of the project, and, and ultimately to the end result. Um, that being said, when we do need to create something new, it takes longer. It's not just, you know, there's an API, go do with it what you want. It's more, well, we have to go to architecture with this and what do you need and who else might need it and where does the data come from and how often are you going to call it? And then they'll write a spec and we'll review the ROML and we'll build our mock service around it. So it does require not just a upfront commitment to this, but just an ongoing rigorous discipline to follow this pattern. And there's always going to be a temptation to say, well, we're really under the gun. Why don't we just like go straight to, and, and that's hard. And I, and I don't want to, and I'm not going to tell anyone that they can't ever do that. That's, that's a function of the enterprise, right? But it doesn't scale in the way that I think uh, a truly API led approach would. I'm going to make people get in the Wayback Machine here, but back when I started working on computers, one of the books that I read was called The Mythical Man Month, and it was written by a guy named Fred Brooks, and that's actually Brooks Law. And Brooks Law is when you add a person to a project that's late, you make the project later. And the basis for that is that the challenge on a project is people aren't, you just can't plug somebody into a project. They have to then communicate to people. So if you've got a five-person team and you add a sixth person, you're not adding 
essentially a, a one sixth resource, what you're doing is adding five more communication channels. I'm wondering if we need to have Mike and Andy's law, which is when you have a complex enterprise and you add another piece of software to it, that you're doing to the enterprise what Brooks extra person did to the project team. Yeah. When you're in an environment where it's point to point, where I need to have a team to figure out five, six, seven, eight different point to point integrations, and I have to burn the other team's time and I have to go talk to the middleware. The idea that if there was a, a well-defined API catalog, if the data was mastered, if, if this had been done, that I, I might actually see much smaller amount of work required to plug a new piece of software into the enterprise and a correspondingly uh, faster return on my investment. Yeah, that's certainly that's certainly the expectation and where we've seen this start to really gain traction. That's that's what we've seen start to be realized, but it really is just an ongoing battle. And I I think another thing that behooves organizations that are thinking this way is not to necessarily, you know, swallow the elephant to kind of reuse that common metaphor, but you don't have to take this five-year architectural top-down overview and inventory, every single API call happening between every system and your enterprise, it's not feasible. By the time you got halfway through something like that, the first things you looked at would be changed or, or gone. So it's it's easier to say, this is the discipline that we are going to establish. Uh, it's gonna start with this project and on this project and moving forward, we're going to do our connections through in some sort of kind of API middleware layer, whether that's MuleSoft or, or something that, that serves a similar purpose in your inter enterprise, or even just from a documentation perspective, being very careful and consistent to say it uses this type of authentication and here is how the, you know, the call should look and here is the sample response and just make sure that that information is available. Even that helps tremendously in future consumptions. So it's not just, you know, a file that got passed around somewhere, but doing that and then gradually building on it project after project year after year. It, it creates this kind of progressive transformation that will start to have this snowball effect as people start to see the benefits of working this way. And hopefully that uh, we'll all get to benefit from that. For sure. Yep. Maybe by the time we, we retire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to retire and leave you to lead the charge, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for your time today, Mike. Yeah, it's my pleasure as always, Andy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Capgemini Salesforce podcast series. To learn more about Capgemini and Salesforce, go to www.capgemini.com forward slash partner forward slash Salesforce.